0: Hey guys, welcome back to The Nutrition Expedition. Before today's episode, we just wanted to say, we're not qualified specialists. If you have any issues, see a healthcare professional.
1: For daily posts, including recipes, exercises, nutrition facts, and calorie comparisons, follow us on Instagram at The Nutrition Expedition. Peace.
0: Welcome back. And today I'm actually lucky enough or unlucky enough to be joined by my own oldest cousin, one of my oldest cousins, Samantha Tate. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you. Lucky.
0: Her name was a Samantha Kanaan, but she has been transferred over (laughs) and Sam does speech pathology. So I just want to ask, I know a bit of background about it, but I haven't really actually asked you more in depth, like how did you actually become interested in speech pathology?
2: well um my youngest brother was born with a cleft lip and palate and a cleft lip and palate is when the mouth um and you know parts of the mouth don't join together during the development in the womb and most children with cleft lip and palate after surgery will require extensive um, speech therapy throughout their childhood and that's what my brother needed as well and i was just Fascinated, so I would go to all of his sessions, and I would watch these professionals, um, essentially teaching him how to pronounce sounds and how to speak and use words. And I knew instantly; I thought, okay, that's exactly what I want to do. So yeah, that's where my interest came from. Yeah,
1: so cool. We roughly, obviously, know this know this um, story, and I we were actually at Lockie's party, and uh, we talked about how she got into it and that i feel like that's a big thing people getting into it and i'm not even joking every single episode we have talking with people how they got into their, their jobs mostly is to do with a personal experience or yeah. a fam- family experience or something like that so no different with you there um just wanted to ask for people wondering what a speech pathologist is how would you how would you um explain what your job is and what what it what you do
2: well, it's, this question is an interesting one because I actually get it quite a lot and a lot of people have assumptions as to, well, speech therapists, you know, help people with their pronunciation or with stuttering or with their, actual the way that they pronounce words, um, but it's so much more than that. So um, it's not only pronunciation, but it's also understanding and um, following instructions, comprehension, it's writing, spelling, social skills, developmental conditions as well, um, feeding and swallowing. So you have some speech therapists who work with, you know, really young infants in intensive care who can't swallow and they can't suck and they can't get milk. And you have some speech therapists working with adults who are recovering from a stroke or um, adults with dementia as well. So you go kind of across the lifespan and there's just so much to it, even things like... I'm working with intellectual disability, I'm um, working with autism, working with cerebral palsy, with um, hearing loss. So there's really there's a lot to it.
0: And sorry, and when, what is probably your favorite part like to go down like which which uh, demographic is is your favorite to work with and what's the most rewarding?
2: I my I do work with young children mostly. I work with my you know in my clinic I work with children between the ages of 1 to about, not 16 and I also work with adults who stutter um definitely a large portion of my caseload would be um children who have autism and also I have a lot of kids who are late talkers, so kids who aren't talking the way that they should for their age. Um, I love working with stuttering in particular and also with feeding, so young children who have difficulty swallowing or who have difficulty chewing or who are really kind of fussy eaters and um, both children and adults who stutter is a really big interest of mine.
1: Yeah, What's interesting is that you were talking about before all of the aspects that can cause someone to have a speech problem. Um, Mm. It's not just talking, it's, you know, listening, seeing, all this stuff can really uh, impact someone, especially an infant, can really impact their way of developing speech, uh, their speech. So it's really interesting to hear all of the different dimensions there. Um, So if you were to, uh, just a bit of a hypothetical, um, if you were to describe uh, to our listeners why your job is in and i don't want you to feel like you're tooting your own horn here but if you were to (laughs) tell them why do you think that your job is important within society and um what really yeah just what role it plays plays, Yeah. yeah
2: well communication is power um communication allows a person to express their wants their needs their thoughts their ideas their opinions um, and it's just so important for quality of life. So giving someone a voice is just, it allows a person to have that quality of life. Um, but it's not just physically talking, it's also um, we communicate by gesture, via sign language, via eye contact. You know, even we work on social skills, for example, um, the way that we say things as well. Um, for my non-verbal clients, we do what's called AAC which is alternative, sorry, augmentative and alternative communications where, so that might look like, um, for example, an iPad or a device that has buttons and they might press the button to express what they want. Like I want milk or I want, you know, whatever it is. So that can look like a very different form of communication for everybody. But the important thing is that they're able to express themselves and actually talk about what they need to talk about in society.
0: Yeah, and um, as you know, I work in a respite center with autistic kids and I I feel like it's quite common to use those devices and particularly for food, we try to use it. But some kids, it can be a bit tough to sit them down and actually get them to do it. But it's it's so rewarding, particularly when they're hungry. uh, But it's so rewarding seeing the results and seeing them communicate in their own way. And something else that you mentioned, which kind of gave me a thought is, I feel like with a lot of these kids in particular, people from the outside just think they're not capable and they're not smart, but it's actually that they're, mm. they're just not able to express themselves. They have it in the inside. Uh, and for example, I, a boy at my respite center, he barely can speak, he's got cerebral palsy and he, he doesn't speak very often, but he, he kind of speaks kind of a sign language. And you'll mm. say just once, like I'll, I'll tell him eight people in my family's names and then later that day I'll ask him and he'll remember every single one and he remembers everyone else and his family members just like that and I find that yes. so amazing because from the outside you don't think he's capable but it just shows that these people are capable that it's need the voice and that's why I think your role is so important and even with myself yes. I, as you know I did speech therapy until probably high school and mm. I didn't realise I was capable until afterwards so yeah it, it, I think that really sums up why your role is so important?
2: Yeah, a lot of people kind of it, on the outside might appear as if they don't, you know, they they don't have any words or they don't have anything to say. But they're, they're, everyone has so much to say. And the more I work with children and adults who have these difficulties, the more I realise, oh, my gosh, wow. And I every every day I keep learning. And, for example, today, one of my clients, um, I was reading a book with them and this little boy is kind of just starting to talk. And today he actually started reading the book. And I just thought, oh my goodness, like you would never think on the outside that this child can read fluently, but they're just, you know, so I think, yeah, children and adults are so capable. um, And it's just about getting out, getting their voice out, whether it's verbally or through, you know, a communication system or through sign language or gesture, um, however we can do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's all assumptions that we have. It's all assumptions yeah. that everyone has, you know. They, it's the lazy thing to do is just to look at someone and having trouble speaking and be like, ah, oh, they're not very intelligent or they have troubles with this or that. Um, so maybe we could get away from that and focus on maybe thinking, oh, maybe there's something deeper than that, that deeper than just someone's uh, mental Capacity, intelligence yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned you mentioned how you you had a big lot of of children as your main clients. Um, mm-hmm. You also mentioned you have some adults oh, yeah, we're stuttering, which this might be a bit hard to an- answer, but which one do you find more prob- problematic to work with or tougher to, to solve, if you know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, so they're rather than being more difficult, they're kind of working with adults and children is just very different. Hmm. Um, the reason we promote early intervention in really young children is there's just so much evidence so so many research studies that prove that um you know the power of early intervention lies in the fact that the pediatric brain is more plastic so it's more flexible um so in that the first three years of life we can just do so much and we can teach them so many beautiful skills so early intervention is always recommended um however it doesn't mean that it's harder to treat adults because in fact adults are usually self-referred so they refer themselves which means that they're super motivated and they want to make those changes so it's just different it's a very yeah. different way of of having a therapy session
0: hmm. and I, I know i was kind of uh, diagnosed late with my issue but say some parents are unsure as to if their parent, their kids aren't developing as fast what's some signs that they may need speech
2: Some, it's all about kind of, usually it's just about whether the child is hitting their milestones. Um, I always will recommend with the parent to have a speech assessment. Um, It's always better to have an assessment and to work out whether the child does need therapy earlier rather than later, rather than just to kind of wait and see. Often parents will get very conflicting advice from family members or from, you know, different people that they speak with. So for example, I have a lot of referrals from parents who said, oh, I actually I had an instinct and I thought that I wanted to come when they were younger. But, you know, my my mother-in-law or my husband or my, you know, sister said that, oh, they'll outgrow it or, um, oh, my husband said that he didn't talk till he was three anyway. So there was nothing to worry about. And I think there's just this people have a lot of opinions and as a result, um, things tend to kind of. Get left a little bit late, so mm. I would recommend to any parent to once they have that feeling that something might not be right or, or that their child is developing later than their peers um, or other kids in preschool, it's better to just have an assessment and and then that way they can make the educated decision.
1: Cool, yeah. And I'm gonna ask you a question, but it's not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna take it too deep, but um. When it comes to children, what are some of the common uh, speech errors, such as letters or, or words or sayings that they struggle with the most you, that you tend to see?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, um, it definitely changes as the child grows. So for a three-year-old in terms of sounds and, and letters, a three-year-old might find it difficult to produce sounds at the back of their mouth. So K and G, the K and the G sounds might be tricky for a three-year-old, so they might say TAP. The cat or you know um they might say what's another one um what's another good sound gary they might say barry for example but that usually resolves around three and a half they should start to produce the sound at the back of their mouth um a four-year-old might have difficulty with the r, the r that's a really really common one so they'll say wabbit for rabbit and wed for red And that typically resolves around five, so just before the child starts school. Um, And a later developing sound, so one that's more prominent in sort of six and seven-year-olds is uh, the TH sound. So saying the for the or saying bath or thumb for thumb. And that usually resolves around seven to eight years old. So they're the, I would say they're the really common ones that we see a lot of the time.
1: Wow, and it changes that that off, that quickly. There can be that much of a change yeah. within that many. Wow.
2: it's crazy. Yeah, it's interesting. There are so many different variations as well, so many mm. different speech sounds that a child can have difficulty with that are appropriate when they're three or it might be appropriate when they're yeah. four but not when they're five or mm. not when they're six. Wow. So
0: with these children, say their parents, for whatever reason, don't put them through speech, what will happen to their speech and what will be the long-term effects?
2: That is a really good question. Um, We know that speech, language, play, cognition, and even literacy are all interconnected and they actually all build upon each other over many years. Um, The early years can be so critical in preparing a child for later academic success as well. Um, plenty of studies show that children who have language disorders at the age of five and six continue to actually have persistent language problems throughout early childhood and then even into adolescence. Um, there's also research to show that children who are late talkers or who have language difficulties are likely to have speech difficulties. So when they do eventually speak, they're likely to have difficulty with pronunciation. And then there's actually more research to show that Children who have difficulties with their speech sounds, so the articulation, then are likely to have difficulties with reading and writing. Right. Because if you think about it, if you can't say the sound, how are you going to spell the sound? Um, So it's all interconnected. Um, As well as academic implications, there's also, you know, we know that children with residual speech errors can be have an increased risk of social and emotional difficulties as well bullying um so it just it's really all interconnected and that's why it's so important for a child to receive therapy as early as possible to reduce those long-standing effects
0: yeah cool and something that i was thinking about there is you mentioned like what these children need i think these two come in hand in hand if you have speech therapy and you have occupational therapy i think a lot of people might be confused from the outside as to what the difference is and what, like, which children need both or just one or the other. Do you want to try to simplify that for people?
2: Absolutely. So speech and OT really do work hand in hand. A large portion of my clients have an OT as well. Um, and I would talk to OTs literally every day, uh, because because lot of our goals interconnect as well. So both speeches and OTs can work on something like social skills, but from differing perspectives. Um, OTs, while speeches work with spelling and writing, OTs would work with, for example, pencil grip and ensuring that the child has the correct motor skills and strength and range of movement to be able to actually hold the pencil. Right. So you need both of them. Um, a child who has autism, for example, while I might be developing their language and trying to facilitate vocabulary, the OT might be working on sensory um, those sensory skills. So children have difficulty concentrating and attending because of sensory needs. Um, and they might think of systems like, for example, you know, a squiggly chair where they can sit and they can attend better or, um, holding a a ball to kind of get that vestibular input. So, and that combination plus the speech therapy means that our sessions are a lot, for both of us, our sessions are a lot more, um, Effective, Yeah, cool. So definitely
1: hand in hand. Yeah, and now that you mentioned that, I remember doing that. When I was younger, I didn't even think I, I had done anything like that. But I remember going to classes where they told you I to not hold the pen and writing circles and doing all that stuff. So yeah. now I remember doing that. Um, you mentioned this before, and I, I was actually just thinking about the question, and then you said the word, which is kind of weird. But um, what percentage of of kids or teens or whoever comes into you, uh, into your practice What percentage of those uh have encountered bullying from what you hear um from the parents or from what they say
2: unfortunately i would say about 80 percent of
1: them and do do you think that's a do you think maybe uh do you think that's a reason as to why they might come in or do you think or did most of them come in already and then it's just it's already it's just happened
2: um children can be really really mean other mm. children you know and this even starts at preschool level where i've had some of my really young kids encounter bullying even at such a young young age so pre-kindergarten and the bullying just intensifies as the child you know if you think about bullying in kindergarten versus bullying in five versus bullying in nine mm. and the difference um and they're all awful but it, it just intensifies as the child gets older we know that these children who do have language difficulties or speech difficulties or literacy difficulties uh, or developmental difficulties, so if they do have a diagnosis of autism or ADHD, they are have an increased risk of having difficulties forming friends or being a target in general in the classroom. If they need extra support or if they can't get their message across or if they're stuttering, I mean, it's it's just really, really increasing their risk of mm. being a target
0: for a bully. I remember in our primary school, they got uh, the kids that were in speech and I think every like two terms, they'd, they'd give us McDonald's lunch. And then we were like, we'd be like flexing the other kids that were at McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. you would. look over
1: and everyone in the class is starting to like, have a lisp and they're just yeah. like faking it <laughs> to get oh the <laughs> Yeah.
0: Um, some, something else I thought of, obviously a lot of these children have tiny attention spans how do you keep these kids entertained during your sessions what's some of the more fun things you do with them question
2: everything is through play absolutely everything so um there's again plenty of research to show that play-based therapy is significantly more effective and keeps a child engaged more so than paper-based or table-based therapy so for my little kids we are most of the session we're um, on the floor or if we're on the table we've got a board game or we've got blocks or we're building a train you know a a train track keeping it fun is so important um as the child gets older of course when you're preparing them for school it's important that they do know how to sit at the table and that they do know how to engage with a paper-based task so I start to incorporate little bits of it slowly 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 so we start with you know, on the floor and then we're slowly moving to the table. Um, but engagement is such a big part of it. And I know that through toys and through games, you can increase a child's concentration and attention span and then slowly influence that into, um, you know, learning to write and learning to read and, you know, very, you know, pre-literacy skills as well.
1: Yeah. And just staying on that topic, I just have one question and then I'll ask you a question mm-hmm. off of that. Um, how long do your consultations usually go for
2: most children will come for about an hour once a week
1: okay so from that hour do you spend time spend time having a little bit of a break for them uh maybe cutting it up into maybe two 25 minute sessions and taking five minutes in in the middle to have a break Um, or do you incorporate the games like the toys uh into their learning
2: Yeah, so usually I'd say ninety percent of the time I incorporate the toys into it. So if the child is just loves cars, and we're working on the sound, the S sound, for example, I might have I might blue tack some little sound words onto say ten cars, and then we race the cars, and then we have to before we race the car we have to say the little card that's on each car and then one you know at the finish line i might have some more sounds so the winning car has to say this sound and the losing car has to say this sound Mm. and so you know incorporating it and keeping it fun the entire way through the session is how i generally do things
1: yeah and just from you saying that it it sounds like there's much more preparation from from session to session than what it seems like you know so how long roughly do you spend preparing um say say i come in for a consultation Uh, and you have all this background knowledge on me how long would it take for you to prepare like a sort of session because an hour is a long time you know it's as Lockie was saying kids don't I don't tend to have a long attention span kids don't you know so how do you manage to prepare and how long does it take you usually
2: gosh a very long time (laughs) it's I would say for each therapy session I spend a long time in my office or at home researching different methods, looking at the different toys I've got in my cupboard, matching that to the activities. Because I've done it for, like, you know, many years now, it's a lot more automatic to me. And in my first initial consultation with the parent and the child, I always get the parent to write down the interests of the child. And so I've got that on paper before I've even met the child. And so already I can start thinking about, you know, okay, this child likes... You know, if it's a little girl, she really likes Frozen. She likes Elsa and Anna. She likes Disney princesses and she likes Mr. Potato Head and she likes trains. And then, so I've got them all in my cupboard and I know that I can pull them out and incorporate them into any goal that we have.
1: Yeah. And I've done i I've done a ton of tennis lessons with uh, this one kid specifically. He was like five years old and he has autism and he would come in and we would do 30 minute lessons because the parents would tell me one hour is like, no way, there's no way. 45 minutes, there's no way he'd be able to do it. And even me somehow using, talking about trains while we're playing tennis, you know, got him to focus a bit more. Um, so yeah. I can totally understand what you're saying, incorporating what they like into into the session so it makes it more interesting for them and there's more, you know, incentive to to follow what you're saying, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. And obviously, we all know every parent wants their child to thrive, and they want the best for their child. What are your tips at? Let's let's start with the, the early the early stage one, ages one to three f- for parents in terms of making sure their child's development is as uh, efficient as possible.
2: Yeah, there are so many things parents can do. Oh my goodness, so many, um, and actually they can do it through everyday routines. So, for example by simply rephrasing something that the child has said. So if the child says, oh, see, doggy, the parent might say, yes, be the doggy. So what the parent is doing is actually providing a model of a grammatically correct sentence and giving their child more vocabulary by simply extending the sentence that their child said. So all the parent is doing is repeating the sentence and just adding to it. Um, As the child gets older, then they can continue to do that. And that's how we build vocabulary. So the child says, um, you know, the doggy is barking. So the mum the might say, oh, yes, the doggy is barking very loudly, isn't he? And that way we're building more words and more vocab and then we're building a sentence. Um, so simply by repeating what the child has said, you can do so much. Um, another one is what we call parallel talk or just describing what your child is doing. So, oh, you're eating your strawberries or you're swinging so high. And that way, we're giving children the words to actually describe what they're doing by simply telling them what they're doing, giving them verbs. So all those doing words, you're swinging, you're eating, you're jumping. And then from there you build, you're jumping high, you're swinging fast, you're, you know, those types of words.
0: Yeah, cool. And Hmm? something else I was thinking was, say... Like, obviously, when you get to age of like six and, and above, you're not really playing with your kids as much. It's more independent stuff. What what can parents do from, from that stage?
2: Um, See, so this is where I notice um, some parents can get a little bit stuck because the child all of a sudden is cool and they don't, you know, they want to play on the iPad or they want to play on their phone or they, sort of, they've got their own interests or they want to play video games. My advice always to parents is to continue to connect with your child by not through technology, you know, avoiding technology as much as possible. So putting down the iPad, putting down the phone, um, and building your child's skills by playing with them. So a six-year-old might not want to play, you know, catching and throwing a ball, but they might want to play a really fun board game. Um, Monopoly might be a bit advanced for a six-year-old, but there are so many different games like even a pie Splat game that you can get from Kmart for $10. Um, All of those really fun games, Um, Avengers themed, board games, Um, all of these different ways of engaging with your child, connecting with them, and then providing them with new language and new words um, that they wouldn't have received otherwise.
0: Yeah, and something I saw online, I wanted to see what your perspective on it was, and it, it was really fascinating to me. Often when a little kid does something wrong, for example, they're going to stand on the table. You say, don't stand on the table, but all they hear is stand on the table. Rather, apparently, you're supposed to say, hey, let's put feet on the floor, and that tells them what to do rather than what not to do. Is that is that true?
2: Yeah, definitely. I'll always encourage parents to, rather than using the negative of don't do that, let's give the child something to do. So if, yeah, if the child is jumping on the table, um, you might want to say, yeah, exactly, feet on the floor. Um, and give them the correct direction. Um, the child is more likely to hear that direction correctly um, rather than the don't do this or stop doing that, um, which is probably going in one ear out the other. Um, yeah, definitely that's great advice for parents.
1: Yeah, yeah. and this one question I'm about to ask you is, uh, we got asked in one of our q Q&A, and Q&A episodes a couple uh, episodes ago, and we thought it'd be a good one to incorporate to ask our guests. Um, what would be one dinner guest you could invite to your house uh, that can be either dead or alive?
2: Um, that is the world's hardest question because <laughs> there's like.
1: You can have multiple so as well. That. Yeah, yeah, there you yeah go. well,
2: yeah. okay. Like, you know, I'd really technically want to meet like Jesus or Mother Teresa, mm-hmm. but then would they be a good dinner guest? Like, would they want to eat sushi <laughs> uh, or seafood? Would well, they even tell you anything? But then, will Jesus Jesus just
1: turn sushi into wine, you know, like, like
2: you know. But then then if I have someone controversial as well, like a dictator, you know, Mm. would I really want to be sitting across from them? Would it be awkward? Would it be kind of, you know, awkward silences? So there are all these, like, interesting people. So I think in my head I'm like, okay, well, they've got to be entertaining and they've got to be a good dinner guest. So I'm thinking someone like... Marilyn Monroe maybe mm. or I think she is always in my mind because I feel like she'd have stories about you yeah. know presidents and yeah. actors and singers and famous people and then but she'd also be a good dinner guest and be entertaining as well so best of both worlds. I, like, I love how uh, like
1: in depth she answered it. Yeah. it, it
0: was like um
1: <laughs> this guy's <was> interesting. <laughs> yeah like you know like uh that guy's you know got a face. Uh, <laughs> and... <him. laughs> and uh quick one, what do you have upcoming
0: in terms of your career? What's what's some upcoming things you're excited about?
2: Well, um at the moment, so at the moment I work in my clinic um seeing clients. I also work at preschools and schools some of the days of the week. Um I recently also um started with, you know supervising students at ACU. So I'm a clinical educator there as well, which has been quite exciting to coach students. Um, At the moment, I'm setting up my website as well and social media. So, that's probably the next big thing for me. Um, Having a social media presence is the next kind of thing that I'm excited about, I'd say. Um, It doesn't come naturally to me, all of the social media stuff. I tend to focus so much on the therapy and so much on the paperwork that I, you know, don't even think about that side. So, Mm. very excited to actually put some time into it.
0: I feel like it's it's the same for us. When, When we started our social media, it was so weird because we're like, we're not influencers, but we're acting like influencers, like trying to <laughs> preach to a large audience. Whereas you're like, you're just yeah. like, you have all the knowledge there, but it's like, how do I make this in a fun, creative way that people are actually gonna wanna like my my post or comment or actually look at, do you know what I mean? So it's, exactly.
2: and as well, it's a new way.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's changing so much. Like even now, like they have reels on Instagram, which is basically TikTok since so like, that's where, and TikTok, are, um, sorry, Instagram using the algorithm so that if you, they're trying to encourage you to do reels. And if you don't do reels, you're not getting as many views and likes and comments as if you were to do one. So it just shows like it's constantly changing and you have to be with the times or if not, you're just going to fall behind. So it's, it's tough, isn't it?
2: Oh my, it's ridiculous. And it, I feel like it's a full-time job as well. 100%. Social media and it's, there's so much to
1: it. Thinking of content can take forever. hey. Yeah. lucky and I, yeah, I have countless... Uh, Brainstorming, hours thinking of uh, new things to put into play. But uh, you, uh, I feel like a good thing for you is that you, you just you got a dead blank canvas. You know, yeah. like you, you can go wherever you want with it. You know, you have no, you don't have to re, re, you know, ignite something. You don't have to go a different path. You don't have to alter anything. You can just start fresh, do your own thing. Yeah, there, make your own sort of way. So I think that's a massive benefit you have there
0: and f- for the for the listeners what is your instagram
2: Samantha Tate speech pathology
0: okay and we'll we'll leave that in the description everyone make sure to uh, to follow and make sure you, you yeah you have to follow okay. you, have, you have to
1: get you have to like our latest post yeah there we about go, that. There we <laughs> go. Um, okay just to finish off i'll ask you one question we ask all our guests um what is one tip in your opinion to improve health in any way
2: when I think of health, the first thing that pops into my head is mental health. Um, always, it just seems to pop in first. Um, I feel like it's just the foundation for well-being in general, for so that people are able to cope with general life stresses. They're able to function just day to day, and they're able to make healthy choices. So, I mean, my tip, I guess, would be to work on mental health first and foremost, um, and things tend to kind of flow from there.
0: So I really love that, and I feel like. Mateo and I always preach that, say you're trying to lose weight or trying to sleep more, trying to exercise more, none of that's going to happen unless your mental health is on point. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but you have to actually be focusing on it and thinking about it. And that's why we do put the the lifeline and uh, the... What's the other one we have in the description? Whoa, we should black know this. Dog. Yeah, our black, black Dog Institute. Watch. Yeah, We have, we have like yeah. those every description because it's the most important thing and above all nothing else matters in your life other than that that's your first priority like your, your friends family partners everything comes behind your your own mental health because if your mental health's not there everything else won't be as it should anyways so i
1: very really like that yeah
2: definitely agreed
1: well um thank you so much for coming on i know it's it's night time when we're recording this and uh once again, Luc's family's held true to the, <laughs> to the standard and uh, it's been really honestly it's been really really enjoyable um, as a whole, I think I can say this uh, you know on the episode, but I think uh, people who speak very freely you know tend to be our easiest conversations yeah. and you tend to be one of those people that just is like a conversation. it's a really just chill, it's really free so. Thanks so much for being such an easy guest to talk to, and um, it's been a really interesting topic as well. I know, I know a couple of people who are involved in speech pathology or who want to be. So um, for me, it's interesting, and I feel like it's an interesting su- subject that we found quite, quite. Literally, we found it quite hard to develop some questions <laughs> and to understand. So um, it's good that it's good that we got you on, and uh, we talked about this subject, and um, definitely looking forward to keeping in touch.
2: Thank you so much, Mateo and Lockie. It's very um, great to talk to you both. And great questions as well. There you we go. Um, <laughs> it was really nice. We to got the, we heard it, it from and the speech mythologist that's
1: yourself. That's okay. There you go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you both have insight already into, you know, all of the questions that you asked me were really quite knowledgeable. So I feel like you're both coming from an area of expertise almost which okay. is really nice lucky um, and i lucky and i, very
1: easy to to lucky well. and I are your nearest recruits there we go we'll <laughs> be, be in your in your clinic on monday <laughs> i'll
2: bring my toys yeah lucky will yeah. yeah. bring his, his toy
1: bring cars the toys, that he yeah. plays with every night before bed yeah <laughs> uh once again thanks so much um sam and uh yeah once again we'll keep in touch thanks guys all right see you guys um, see later you guys.